the District 12 girl? Could there be a bigger slap in the face? District 12, the smallest district, the joke district, with its stunted, joint-swollen kids that always died in the first five minutes. And not only that, but the girl? Not that a girl couldn't win, but in his mind, the Hunger Games were largely about brute force, and the girls were naturally smaller than the boys, and therefore at a disadvantage. He could feel the blood burning his cheeks as he tried to remain composed. Most of the other students had risen and were chatting among themselves. He must join them, pretend this was of no consequence, but he seemed incapable of it at the moment. That's a quote from The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins. This is Why a Book Chat, and I'm your host, Leah Stuhler. Hi, I'm Bethany Finger, the host of Prince Kai Thampod, a Marissa Meyer Book Club podcast. Join me every week during my read-along journey through all of the books by author Marissa Meyer, one chapter at a time, spoiler-free. Each episode will feature a different guest, new fan art, and laughter and joy through reading. You can find Prince Kai Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other listening platforms. And now, back to the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of YA Book Chat. Thank you so much for being here and for joining me today. I also want to say a special thank you to my patrons for your continued support. And if you want to become a patron of YA Book Chat, just be sure to check out the link in the show notes. All right. Today, I have a brand new guest on the show, um, and her name is Rachel, and she is from the Barely Bookish podcast, also another super fun podcast that you guys should check out. Um, So Rachel, why don't you say hello and introduce yourself, and you can tell everyone a little about your podcast. Well, hello. Thank you so much for having me. Um, My podcast is all about classic literature, uh, modern classics. We dive through the entire plot. And we kind of look at them with our modern perspectives. And um, so basically, I didn't read any of these growing up. So I have no nostalgia attached to any of these books, Ah. which is very noticeable in the Little Women episodes. Because, (laughs) you know, everyone else has read these a lot of these books in high school and as kids. And so I come at it with more of like a outsider's perspective. And I talk with a guest every week. And it's a lot, a lot of fun. So when you're reading these books, it's the first time that you've read them? Yeah. Every single one so far has been the first time. The only book that, and this episode hasn't come out yet, but it's coming out. So I guess little spoilers, but um, the only book I had any sort of idea what it was about was The Great Gatsby because I saw the Mm. movie once. Like, I don't even know if I've seen the full movie. I saw parts of it. Wait, the question is, did you see the Leonardo DiCaprio movie or like the original one? Okay. No, Leonardo DiCaprio. So the, which is really good, by the Mm -hmm. way, but the original movie, which I think has Robert Redford in it, um, is, yeah, yeah, is a lot closer to the book. Like it sticks super close. It might feel a little slow because it's an older one and it Mm -hmm. is so close to the book, Um, but it's still really good. 
Yeah, I, I'll have to check that out because a lot of my comments about that movie is, and honestly, all the movies that are book adaptations truly is that, wow, you cut a lot to make mm-hmm. this a movie. Like um, the Sense and Sensibility movie. I just watched that. Oh, it, it felt like it was movie. like a week long, though, like the most <laughs> recent one. So I'm like, you don't really understand that like this takes place over like four months or something. Mm-hmm. Like, if you only see the movie. Yes. Um, I've actually never read that book, but I have seen the movie and it's one of my favorites because Emma Thompson is just the most amazing actress. And the scene at the end when he comes to her house to propose to her and she instantly bursts into tears and her sisters are outside watching like I can't. Oh, my gosh. It's the most amazing scene ever. That is when I was like, Emma Thompson, you are my hero. <laughs> and I yes. love you and look up to you now. So like she's fantastic. But honestly, it's really close to the book. They just condense a lot, which mm. is fine, but I really, really love the book. And I had no idea anything about that book too, which was a lot of fun because nice. I didn't read ahead at all on that. So ah. the chap- my chapters are very much like who's this guy? Like, were we supposed to care about him? I'm like, oh, and now I hate him. Just kidding. Wait. (laughs) Very, very fun. Nice. (laughs) All right. Um, So I am going to give everybody a quick plot overview of the Ballad of Songbirds and (gasps) Snakes. Oh my gosh. I didn't even say that at the beginning of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) You want to talk about blooper of all bloopers. There it is right there, my friends. All right. So today, (laughs) Rachel and I are going to be talking about the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins. Um, Yeah. So this is the prequel that she wrote to the Hunger Games books. So, yeah. All right. I am going to read you guys uh, a little quick plot overview before we get into detail. All right. It is the morning of the reaping that will kick off the 10th annual Hunger Games. In the capital, 18-year-old Coriolanus Snow is preparing for his one shot at glory as a mentor in the games. The once mighty house of snow has fallen on hard times. It's fate hanging on the slender chance that Coriolanus will be able to outcharm, outwit, and outmaneuver his fellow students to mentor the winning tribute. The odds are against him. He's been given the humiliating assignment of mentoring the female tribute from District 12, the lowest of the low. Their fates are now completely intertwined. Every choice Coriolanus makes could lead to favor or failure, triumph or ruin. Inside the arena, it will be a fight to the death. Outside the arena, Coriolanus starts to feel for his doomed tribute and must weigh his need to follow the rules against his his desire to survive no matter what it takes. So this one focuses all about snow, which I thought was ingenious. A lot of people did not necessarily feel that way. I saw so many mixed reviews about this book. Mm -hmm. Some people were like, um, I don't want to know anything more about him. I don't care about him. He's nasty. Personally, I actually was really excited when I found that out because I love a good backstory Mm -hmm. and characters like him, like you really want 
at least for me. I, he just, it just makes me want to know more about him and where he came from. So I'm really excited to talk about this book. This is funny, but I just realized it's not pronounced Cornelius as you were speaking. Oh, (laughs) this entire time I was reading it as Cornelius and you're like Coriolanus. And I was like, oh, (laughs) whoops. That is fantastic. Uh, (laughs) All right. So uh, we are going to start talking about uh, this book and kind of give our overall thoughts and feelings about it, but we are going to do it spoiler free at first. And then I will let you guys know when we are going to go more in depth with spoilers. I'll give you a good warning. So Rachel, I want to know what some of your thoughts were about the book. I honestly absolutely love this book. I, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about it. So I, it's been a long time since I read the hunger games. Like I read it Mm. as a kid before the movies came out like in middle school i think so yeah i read them and divergent at the exact same time and so they get kind of mixed up in my head but i love them and so this book coming out i didn't i heard a lot about it and then like i heard nothing like very quickly (laughs) so i was like i don't know how this is gonna go like i hope it's good (laughs) when you said oh i had this book we want to read i was like yeah, sure. I love the Hunger Games. Let's do it. And I was pleasantly surprised. Like the writing's very, very good. Mm-hmm. It's very engaging. The character development is kind of insane. Like, yeah, it's it, it's not something I would consider a slow roll, to be honest. Like, right. It's very good. Very good. I agree. Um, I, like I said, just a minute ago, I was very excited about it when I heard that she was writing it, but I did see and hear when it first came out before I read it, so many people's uh, opinions on it and that Mm -hmm. they did not like it. And so I was trying really hard to kind of stay away from that because people's opinions on books are just so divided that Mm -hmm. it's really hard to gauge from it. So I was trying (laughs) while I was trying to read it and not, you know, pick up anything, but I really ended up loving it. I enjoyed it a lot as well. Um, I love just how well it, you know, she just kept everything so well in that world. And like everything went so well with the hunger games books. Um, and again, because we, we even have District 12 mm-hmm. that she used, which is great. I loved that Tigress was in the book and that she was a, re- a main character. That yeah. made me super happy because she's like one of the characters from the Hunger Games who I really liked. And I was intrigued by her and was like, I want more of her. I didn't really get enough of her in the Hunger Games. So it made me happy that um, that Tigress was in the book. Yeah. And I really like too that this book takes place during the tenth Hunger Games, mm-hmm. whereas the Hunger Games books um, start with the seventy fourth Hunger Games. So there's a huge gap in between, but it's great because I loved seeing like you get a really good picture of how the Hunger Games started. And then where they end up and kind of how they get to where they are by the time we get to Katniss. I feel like she gives a really good, really good depiction of that. Like I had a very clear vision of how they were going to develop into what they were by the time they hit 74. Yeah. I think my favorite part too about this book is you don't have to read the other Hunger Games like Mm -hmm. to know what's going on. Whereas a lot of books when they have prequels, they choose not to um 
provide detail, I guess, about mm-hmm. the uh, plot. And then you kind of get into it and you're like, oh, where are we? Who are these people? Like, you can't start with the prequel, which I feel like if it's a prequel, you should have the option of starting with that book in the series right. and then going on to the sequel. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like a Star Wars situation, like right. flip them around. <laughs> but that- I really like that she was like, here's some Easter eggs. So if you have read the books, mm-hmm. you know, you'll understand this and this will be a reference that you'll be like, oh, I remember that. Like, but if you haven't read the books, you'll just be like, oh, that's cool. And then you'll read the other books and you'll be like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's where that came from. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I really liked that too. What I also liked was that um, we get to see things from the mentor's perspective because the mm-hmm. Hunger Games are all done from Katniss, uh, Katniss's perspective. So, but this side of things, because um, Coriolanus is uh, a mentor. And so it's really cool because we get to see it more from his side of things and what it's like to be a mentor who's working with and quote unquote helping mm-hmm. uh, the tribute <laughs> in the arena. So it's, it was kind of, I really like that. We got to see the opposite side of that for once. And yeah. Coriolanus's character arc is fantastic. Like mm-hmm. I kept on thinking, how is he going to end up where he needs to be? How is he yeah. going to end up like he is in the Hunger Games? And the way she just took him from the st- where he starts at the beginning to where he ends up at the end, I was like, that is just fantastic. Like she just creates this just full-fledged, perfect arc there of him going from sweet, nice little boy to, oh, now I see why he's going to be this mean, nasty man at the end of it. Mm -hmm. So it works. I really liked it. Yeah. And I like that the way she describes like basically the 10th Hunger Games as being, you know, a test run and they're still trying to figure things out. And I like that she kept that in mind, whereas Mm -hmm. they wouldn't have all the things they had in the 75th Hunger Games because technology has developed a lot in 75 years. So like they would be trying out new ideas and trying to figure out like what works, what doesn't. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of issues with implementing these programs. And I like that she made that very clear Mm -hmm. throughout the books. Yeah. It's, it's really cool how we see the start of different things developing and figure out what it's going to and see how it ends up later. Mm-hmm. It was funny because I was reading this and I'm like, okay, so Corio, that's what they call him in case you haven't read the book yet. Um, instead of calling him Coriolanus, his nickname by his cousin, Tigris, is Corio. So it's funny because he's like, what, like 17, right? I'm sitting yeah. there in my head. I was like, okay, if he's 17 when this starts, how old was he then at the eight, at the 74th? And I was like, oh my gosh, he was like in his 80s. Yeah. I, I guess like when I read The Hunger Games and then when I watched the movies, I didn't I didn't picture him as like an 80-something year old man. Like to me, I don't know, maybe Donald, I mean, not that Donald Sutherland is like ridiculously young or anything, but he doesn't look like 85 either, you know? I know. Yeah. So I just, so when I actually figured that out, when I was reading this, I was like, oh, okay. He's actually mid eighties by the time we get to Katniss. All right. Still. It's weird weird too, thinking about the fact that they have a lot of like enhancements that they do at that point. So it's like anybody could be any age. And we'd have no idea like what by the time the 75th Hunger Games rolls around because mm-hmm. you can do any enhancements you want, like Tigris and the movies. Yes. So 
Yes. And we are going to talk about Tigress because she, I love her and she's a really big character, but there's like one tiny little nitpicky thing that's been bothering me um, about it. So I just want to figure that all out. <laughs> so we can, we can talk about that. I'm excited. All right. Um, any other thoughts before we dive in and spoil all kinds of things? You're going to laugh at me, but I thought his name was pronounced Cairo. Like <laughs> This is the hardest part about being a reader. I swear when you Seriously. don't have the audiobook, you know, you're just oh, left to your own devices. That always happens to me. What I've been doing lately is, um, because I'm reading so many books like to do, but I'm only doing, like, if I read a series, I'm only covering the first book in the series on the podcast, not the whole thing. So I'll Mm -hmm. read like the hard copy of the book, the first one, but then I've been listening to the next couple of books in the series on audiobook, And it always throws me off. Like I just, I'm in the middle of, um, I'm on the last book of Ali Condi's matched series. Oh yeah. So in my head, when I was reading Matched, I was pronouncing it Cassia. Then I get the audiobook and they're pronouncing it Kasha. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. So I was what? wrong. Whatever. <laughs> this is news to me. <laughs> right? Or like you hear um, an author give an interview and pronounce the name and you're like, oh, oh, I was totally wrong. <laughs> well, when I read um, the... A Court of Thorns and Roses series. I only audiobooked them. So mm. then people were like spelling the names. I'm like, who's that? And yeah. I'm like, oh, that's how you spell Feyre? Like, <laughs> no way I would have thought that was Feyre. I would have thought it was like for, like, I don't know. <laughs> this is one of my hardest things and podcasting. As anybody who has listened to my previous episodes will know, I often have trouble pronouncing things, especially if they're words from a different language. Um, my serpent and dev episode. Yeah. All the French words. Ha! <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah. It's subpar French in high school. So oh, I, uh, reading through serpent and dove, I was like, I could guess how that's pronounced, but like, mm-hmm. it's not going to go well. No. <laughs> Cause I'm doing that on another podcast as well as I'm covering serpent and dove. So <gasps> I love serpent and dove. Anyway, that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> all right. I think we're good. All right. So if you have not yet read the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, then you may want to stop listening here and come back and listen to the rest of the episode after you have read the book. Or if you have read it or you just don't care about spoilers, then by all means, please continue listening and finish the rest of the episode. All right. Um, So one of the things that I want to talk about first are the differences between the 10th Hunger Games and the 74th Hunger Games, because it's just crazy to me, some of it. Like when I first started reading this book and I, they were talking about the tributes and how they were treated. I was like, what? Because they're treated like animals. They're handcuffed. They're put in like a truck in the bed of a truck that's like a cage a big cage then they're left at the zoo in a cage at the zoo and they're not even fed or anything and I was like that like they're not they can't bathe they can't shower I mean by the time we get to Katniss they're like living in these luxury apartments while they're there so I was like ah that's a lot different (laughs) 
Yeah, I know. I was reading it and I was like shocked. And then they're like, we want people to care about these people. And I was like, well, if you want people to care about these tributes, like you have to care about them. Like that's Mm -hmm. the logical next step. Like if you don't care about them, how are you going to expect the world to care about them at all? Like they're in these cages kids are just getting bitten by whatever mm-hmm. you know and then they get mad at cornelius for bringing kids food and i'm like right how are they gonna live to the hunger games you know well and that was it like half of them didn't even make it to the yeah. hunger games because they died from whatever it was you know not being or from being sick or like the kid who got bit by rabies except i think he died in the yeah, he did. He died in the arena. But still, he got bit by something while he was at the zoo and got rabies. Like, mm-hmm. there were rats everywhere. They're all, I mean, yeah. Because how, they're, they're obviously not going to be in good condition to put up a fight either if they're being treated that way. Yeah. And the people want to see something, you know, they want to be entertained, but yeah (laughs) kind of gross it's just crazy really gross but the um the arena too i it was amazing okay so they have nothing like it's just an empty broken down arena yeah and and i was like okay because by the time we get to katniss they create this whole environment like you're in a jungle or whatever it is. You're in the forest. I mean, it was crazy. Like this whole forest area for them to go through. But this one is just like a busted up arena that doesn't get used anymore. And I'm yeah. literally like, they're just in the stands or on like a the flagpole thing or back, you know, in the walkways, like where you would get concessions and one of ours. So I was like, um, Okay. Yeah, that's not even entertaining to watch. We're like, how long? Like, because the Hunger Games in the original books went on for a while. And it's like, there's how long did these traditionally go on? It feels like it was like a day long event because these kids couldn't survive if they weren't being given food. Right. And they didn't do food until like apparently Hunger (laughs) Games number 10. So I'm like, how long did the first nine last? I don't think they could have lasted more than like two days because there wasn't much that they could have i mean well and then you think about it too they're in this arena it's like wide open space i mean so obviously you're gonna there's not really there weren't there were some places to hide because it was run down and some of the um rocks and stuff had come down well plus then there was the incident when they went to when the mentors and the um tributes went to go see it and it was blown up or whatever parts of it so the rocks and stuff had come down but even still i mean it was pretty wide open yeah and that and they like it's my thought was it's so easy for them to get to people too like they have Mm -hmm. weapons now and you're sitting in the stands and those stands are not that far away from the field and these kids are like prowling around like inside the stands of parts that are like Mm -hmm. blown open and i'm like what is the protection here because apparently we find out there's like one barbed wire fence that's kind of works and yeah. besides that they're like yeah you know people will probably live <laughs> it'll be fine somebody will win <laughs> i know the other thing too the the girl who goes up on top of the the pole okay so in my mind i kind of pictured it like a football field goal in a way but just without the two 
upper parts. <laughs> so yeah. just like, I don't know how to, anyway, I thought now that was clever of her to go up there because not many people were going to be able to get up there unless they were really good at climbing. And of course she did get kind of beat up by the sun, but then she figured out how to fix that when she um, traded with the other guy and he gave her the flag to cover herself. But, um, but that was pretty clever, but then I kept on thinking, okay, how wide is that? Really? I couldn't, I couldn't in my mind figure out how wide it was because I assumed it was small. So did I, but then it was like, she was able to, balance up there and be up there when the other two finally came up after her and they're like fighting up there. And I'm like, how much, how are you doing this? Either she's got like phenomenal balance and body control, or it was wider than I thought it was. Yeah. I'm assuming it's not wider than like a foot. Yeah. Realistically. And I think cause she's from that, um, the lumber district. So mm-hmm. you gotta be thinking that, if they have like primitive tools, like I don't know how technologically advanced the lumber district is, yeah. but okay. Have you seen those lumber competitions? Yes. <laughs> All I'm thinking is, you know, they do like the shove it in the side, step up onto it to then, you know, oh yeah, hit up. So they have to have really, really good balance if that's the technology that they're using. Like that's, that's all true. I had in my head. I don't. I mean, I'm not there. I have no idea what they're. That tools makes sense. Are. I guess I should have thought about that, that she being from that district would have more experience with probably like being up high and being on that kind of small space and balancing on it. Yeah. That would make Honestly, sense. those lumber competitions live rent free in my head. I think about them sometimes. <laughs> it's just so cool. Like, I just want to go to one. Like when COVID's done, I just, someone invite me to a lumber competition because I just need to see it. That would be fun. Oh man. Uh, let's see. Okay. So we also see, starting with the 10th Hunger Games, the development of people betting on it. And this is when they first start sending gifts into the arena. And that was Coriolanus's idea. I was like, oh, that's where that came from. It was his idea. That was really cool. I loved, I loved that. But the fact that he was like, yeah, we're going to send this in. And I thought it was cool that they had like, like a watch type thing that they used mm-hmm. to control it. And then people could send them money and donate gifts. And then they would just punch it in when they came out. But yeah, you couldn't, but they couldn't send them anything unless they could see their tribute. Yeah. So that was the trick. <laughs> it honestly made me think a lot about the 75th hunger 75th 74th hunger games and i kind of started to think i'm like how did they know where the tributes were like in the 74th because you don't you know you can't see anyone somehow they're getting all this video footage but there's no camera crew and they're not doing any like like in a football stadium you know you have those big overhead cameras that zoom Mm -hmm. around all the time but like, how are they recording it in the 74th? Like, do Jabber Jays do all? The, are they the videographers here? Like, <laughs> they, they must have had like, I don't know, hidden cameras everywhere. Or something. Like trail cams, I maybe? Mean, I don't know. I don't know. Because in, cause in this one, the 10th, I mean, they only had the cameras like in one spot. Mm-hmm. That's it. It was like one view of the arena and that was it. Cause you couldn't see underneath where they were hiding. Um, and they only had, they only ever talked about how you could only see like one, one perspective of it. So yeah, I don't know. 
I mean, they advanced their technology a lot. So they probably had like hidden cameras all over the place or the whole thing was a video camera. Who the heck knows? Yeah. Or if like kids died in those little inner areas, if none of the other tributes brought them out, like you wouldn't know. That's the wild thing to me too. It's because it's all up. Like they just don't track anybody. That's what I kept on thinking too. I was like, how are they gonna know who dies if like somebody dies in one of the tunnels in the arena but nobody comes across them but i liked how um this this actually brought up because this came up where the one boy started like pulling the bodies and like piling them to one area and then lucy gray would come out like she came out at one point and counted how many were there so that she could figure out how many people were left and then I don't know if it was Coriolanus or Dr. Gall or somebody was like, you know, it would be a great idea if we could have a way for the tributes to know how many people have died and how many are left against them. Because yeah. then I was like, oh, that's where that comes from. Like in the 74th, when they they put it up in the sky for them to see like this person just died. Like they make the sound, they play the music and then they show this person is dead now. So you could, so they can keep track. I was like, oh, another connection. Look at that. <laughs> you know, what was really strange to me, like just on the 10th Hunger Games that there wasn't as much control over the Capitol. Like yeah. the Capitol citizens didn't know the anthem, stuff like that. I was like, huh, this is kind of weird that because in the 74th, it seems like the Capitol, even though they are rich, is on a tight grip mm-hmm. as well as all the districts. And so it was just strange to me that like, there's things they're very lax about with students and yeah. just the people that live there. Well, and I think that probably comes down to um, the person in power too. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause we see what happens to Coriolanus in this. So by the time he gets up there and he's the president, then yeah, he's got a tight rein on things for sure. Yeah. He's like I'm not messing around. This is too, I like, this is where we see where they introduced the, animals and stuff because like in the 74th we've got the what were they like wolves wolves like the modified wolves or something um and so dr gall in this one has her snakes that she made that get introduced uh that woman was crazy i i can't oh my gosh i mean (laughs) poor clemencia she lets her get bit by the snake and then she like starts getting scales on herself like she's like mutating into the snake kind of and it's like oh poor girl they wouldn't even tell her parents what was going on dr gall was just like the things that she would say she's just like pure evil and nastiness it's crazy to me that the like amount of power she has like yeah almost more power than the president it seems like yeah it really does because she um because she's always there with the the mentors and mm-hmm. she's like making all of these different decisions. Not even not even like the guy who's the head of the school. Like he's not even telling them stuff. She's telling yeah. all the, the mentors what to do and where to go. She's working with Coriolanus. And then um yeah, it's just like she definitely has a ridiculous amount of power. It's just, she gets, there's no enforcement of anything she does. Like, Mm -mm. you know, she lets a student get bit and almost die. And everyone's like, yeah, she does that sometimes, whatever. (laughs) And Um, 
there's just no enforcement and then the, mm-hmm. it's like the kids have this fear factor of being like oh we can't tell our parents because then something will happen to our parents yeah and it's like oh okay she just can do whatever she wants like is the president in her pocket like is she the puppet master here because that it kind of feels like it i think so definitely well and then i mean she's the one who like grooms coriolanus you know she keeps whispering all this stuff in his ears like no this should be this way and this should be this way and think about because she keeps making him write all those stupid essays and do those assignments about um chaos and you know control can yeah control and all of these different things and and then all the anim- the animals <laughs> it's just yeah it's a lot she's just she was a lot to handle but she was yeah. a great character like i mean she is the character who you love to hate but she's also written so well it's mm-hmm. it was just fantastic i loved it it's i think it's too like kind of a, the first sign of because they control a lot of the elements in um the 74th hunger games like mm-hmm. I remember there's like storms and there's those poison air, whatever thing happened yeah. to Katniss and she started like hallucinating and stuff. Yeah. And then there's those, um, they're not hornets, but they're called cracker jackers. Cracker jackers. Yes. Is that what actually caused her to hallucinate? I feel like there was like a gaseous thing too, but I don't really there remember. There was, okay. So the tracker jackers are in the first one. Mm-hmm. that and that does cause her to hallucinate a little bit but yeah. the what you're talking about um the like gaseous mist or whatever that's in the the second book and movie okay because that's when it's like the all the survivors hunger games and yeah it's in that one because because the one guy carries remember the old woman or the old woman goes into the mist and dies on purpose Oh, that's yeah. in, so that's in the second one. Oh, I need to rewatch those movies. It's been a while. <laughs> it's easy to get so them all good. mixed up. They yeah. are really good. I loved too. Okay. So like you said before, we have all these little um, like Easter eggs just connecting us to the original books. The roses, the roses. Cause I was always oh, yeah. like in the hunger games. I was always like, what is the deal with snow and these white roses? What, why does he always leave in Katniss Rose? Why is, what is this? Grandma's roses, which by the way, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> Every it time I would like read grand-ma'am. it, I'd be like, is it grandma, ma'am, grandma? I have no idea. Um, grandma'am growing her roses. I was like, oh, there it is. Thank you for giving me a reason for him to be obsessed with roses. Like I needed, I felt like there needed to be justification of that. And she gave it to us and it was fantastic. It was like, oh, great. They're his grandmother's roses that she grows on top of their apartment building. And they're like her prized possession. And he always wore one. So that's why they, he uses them too. I, I was like, oh, awesome. I love that connection. That was one of those things where I was trying to figure out she had that pre-planned or like when she originally wrote the first Hunger Games series, like there's a lot of connections. And I wonder how much of this she had like in her head about Cornelius or if she used the pre, like the books we have, the Hunger Games books, and then was like, oh, let me pull this part out. This is good for backstory kind of thing. I wonder how much of this was planned. My guess would be, I mean, now I'm not an author, but... My guess would be, considering the amount of years in between <laughs> these, 
uh, that maybe it was more like, I'm going to pull from what I wrote before. Maybe, yeah. I mean, maybe some of it was, you know, maybe she was, cause I think, cause I've heard some authors say too, like they'll write something and then realize it just doesn't work for the book, but they'll save it in case they mm-hmm. decide to come back to it later. So, I mean, it's possible she did that too. Who yeah. knows if I ever get the chance while well, I ask her. <laughs> yeah. Just like as soon as you get the chance, just text me like, OMG, guess what? <laughs> I will let you know. <laughs> I love that we have District 12 because I always felt like watching the Hunger Games, like, okay, obviously he doesn't like Katniss because of what she's doing, but I always felt like there was more there too and that it did have to do with her specific district. So it was nice to be that we went back to that district and that that's where Lucy Gray is from. And then then he ends up going there too. It kind of, I feel like connects him to it more and then makes more sense with how much he dislikes Katniss because she's from district 12 and it probably brings up all these memories from him being there and Lucy gray and everything that happened there. I thought that was a good connection. Okay. So, you know, I kind of mentioned this first, but I was trying to pull connections where there wasn't any, because I was like, (laughs) Oh, this is going to have a bunch of connections. Like, so I was like, I forgot how much time was realistically between these two. And my brain was like, oh, I know that, you know, Katniss's mother is like a single mother. Like, what if that's Lucy? And then I was like, no, no, that's too (laughs) much time. What if he's the grandfather? And that's how this all happens. And that's why he hates Katniss so much. And I was like, as I kept reading, I was like, okay, that's not the truth (laughs) at all. But it's a nice idea. Yeah, yeah. I know. It, I definitely had a lot of different theories and things floating through my head as I was reading it. And then I turned the page and go, oh, that one's wrong. Okay, great. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's fun. I like too um, that we see the host of the show is is a Flickerman. Like, so you know that he's like Caesar Flickerman's great, great, you know, somebody or grandfather or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's, it's been in the family. Like, and I'm reading it and I'm just picturing Caesar Flickerman and, and how um, outgoing and, you know, crazy mm-hmm. boisterous he was. So yeah. it was a lot of fun to be able to, to be like, oh, great. It's still a Flickerman in this one too. So he's related. So we have that to kind of carry through as well. Yeah. I was trying to figure out if they were the same person or not. Like, cause I, I couldn't remember the first name of the, uh, Caesar so Mm -hmm. I was like oh are these the same person because they're both like really really outgoing they kind of speak the same way so I was like yeah this is the same person but obviously it's (laughs) like his grandfather or father (laughs) I had to go through um I had to stop quite a few times while I was reading this and go back and look stuff up because it had been so long since I read the Hunger Games and even since I've watched the movies and there were just things like that with him um, Mm because I did the same thing with Flickerman. So there were like multiple things that I was like, wait, I got to go back and look this up because I don't remember (laughs) this at all. Like what happened? Because even with Tigress, let's talk about Tigress. So I, okay, because it says at the very beginning, she's his cousin. And I was like, Mm -hmm. what? So I had to go, that was like right away at the start of this book. I went back and I was like, does it say in the Hunger Games, she's his cousin? I don't think that it does. Did she just make that up for this book? I think maybe. <laughs> so yeah, maybe. I definitely had to go back and look at that. But when you think about it, it would kind of make sense because, you know, in the, the 
uh, Mockingjay Part 2, she has this inside connection to the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Whereas, how would she have that as, you know, she is a seamstress to like very big, very important people. But how would she have such a big connection to the Capitol where she's like, okay, you're clear, you stay here, hide in these homes kind of thing. Like, it's yeah, kind of, I think it makes sense to me because it's just like, oh, that's why she would you know, she's cousins of the president. She has all the authority that she could possibly muster. Mm-hmm. My only, okay. So here's my, my one, I didn't understand kind of nitpicky thing. Mm-hmm. So, cause in the hunger games, it's kind of like, she doesn't like him. Like she hates him. Snow, Coriolanus. Yeah. But in this, like she totally loves him. I mean, they're like the best of friends and, so I'm like, so somewhere in these 70 years, <laughs> something happened where they didn't, where they had a falling out. Yeah. Um, and I did see a theory on it online somewhere and something that I read and saying like, because of, because of how he is and because he became like nasty and the person that he was that, you know, they had a falling out. She disagreed with him on like how he was maybe, you know, she disagreed with him on how he was running the hunger games and what he was doing and even on having the hunger games. And so that's why maybe they had a falling out. And so now she doesn't like him by the time we get to 74. I did see this thing where it says that Katniss and the snow storyline is very, very similar. Like they grew up in poverty. They had Mm -hmm. to work very, very hard and, you know, Tigress kind of leans more towards Katniss where she's experienced all this poverty and she wants to make it so no one experiences this poverty, that she wants to help people. She wants to, you know, she's very sympathetic. She doesn't like the Hunger Games. She thinks it's very harsh punishment for these Mm -hmm. children who didn't even fight in the hunger, or like didn't even fight in the war. And instead of Cornelius leaning towards that and becoming more sympathetic, he said, oh, I will never experience poverty again. I will become mm-hmm. this big, powerful person and never will I or my family specifically, my two, my grandma and Tigress ever go hungry again. And he does not care about anyone outside of his family mm-hmm. unit. And I just think it's interesting that from, you know, Tigress had to make a lot more sacrifices than yeah cornelius did like they even hinted at like she might have had to you know sell herself sell herself to you know provide food and put food on the table so she's you could say she sheltered him a lot too Mm -hmm. whereas yes of course he had to like be poor and eat cabbage soup but like he got to go to school every day he didn't have to work and tigress is working these horribly long hours hardly ever sleeping putting food on the mm-hmm. table for him and his uh, their grandmother so it's just yeah yeah she probably becomes very bitter and upset yeah. and who would blame her the poor woman i yeah. mean i definitely felt sorry for her mm-hmm. like it was it was nice i was glad that when we got to the end of the book um that tigress and grandmam were taken care of by sejanus's family um and that they were set up and didn't you know have to worry about money or anything anymore and that they had everything that they needed like that was that was nice to see that they were brought back to that spot um but i could see where she definitely would be like 
you just went through all of this. We had all these conversations about how horrible this was and how bad it was that Lucy Gray and the other tributes were being treated. But yet now you're still doing this and you're even worse than the previous president. I think she wanted no one to ever have to go through what she went through to provide. And he wants them to never have to go through it. Yes. Yeah, he's he was definitely very selfish, mm-hmm. very selfish. And it's like, even when you think that maybe he's coming out of it a little bit, like he seems like he's all about Lucy Gray and, and he's going to be there for her and he's just really concerned with her. Then he's got that moment where he's like, oh, no, but I have to win because I need that scholarship. I have to be able to go to school here for free because I need my family to look good. You know, I need it. I don't want everybody to know that we're poor and we don't have any money. We're supposed to be rich and be like the one of the top families. So it's like, you're like, oh, I had hope for you. And then it goes down the drain and you see like where his real motivation is. He just wants the money. I think he like falls in love with the idea of Lucy Gray more than he actually falls in love with her. Oh, absolutely. You know? Because he keeps trying to convince himself that she's capital. Mm-hmm. Like, he keeps instilling that. That's honestly, when he kept doing that, I think that, I thought, sorry, I thought that that would become the reward because they didn't have any reward for the Hunger Games yet. And I was like, oh, right. okay, maybe that's how he convinces people to get the reward reward is when she wins. He can be like, oh, you know, she's so capital. Why don't we just make her a capital citizen kind of thing? Yeah. And they did end up coming up with a reward in this book. Mm-hmm. We see that too. I don't remember the moment, like how exactly that happened, but I do remember them saying, oh, oh, because, because he was saying how, because when he was working in District 12, he was saying how nobody even like has TVs or nobody cares and nobody watches the Hunger Games. So what is the point? And then they were saying, well, maybe if we give a reward for this, like whoever, whoever's district wins, will get all this food or whatever. Maybe that'll help draw more people in to watch it. I think that's what it was. But And he even mentioned the Victory Village at that point too. Yes, yes, yes. Which is fun. I was like, oh, yes, another connection. <laughs> All right. I want you to tell everybody your theory about Tigris because I really like it. So I found this fan theory about Tigris and let me read the username just so that we can give credit. So it's on Reddit and the username is inner positive and it was posted seven months ago. And I think that's like right around this book. It came out. Yeah. But basically to sum up the entire theory and it's on r slash hunger games if anybody wants to go find it but the entire summary is that because tigris displays all of these tiger-like personalities um such as her wanting to consume raw meat this really gravelly voice that people say sounds kind of like a cat purring and her like the way she walks they even describe as being like tiger-esque Mm-hmm. And then eventually her body modifications that make her look fully like a tiger. They said that maybe Dr. Um, Gall, is that yep. how you pronounce it? Okay. Dr. <laughs> Gall may have uh, mixed her DNA with a tiger at some point. Maybe she, like something happened there. Yeah. Um, let me see if it says like, specifically. Oh, I mean, she said 
maybe seeing Tigress and um, Corio change negatively, she decided to confront her. And that's when she did it as punishment. Maybe those weren't body modifications because they even say in the original books that um, she had the most extreme modifications that anybody in the entire Hmm. uh, capital has. Like it's no one does that. They do body modifications, but not quite to that point that she has. So that would make a lot of sense. I mean, I can't, you can't put anything past Dr. Gall at this point because that woman does not care about the sanctity of life. She just cares about her experiments and what she wants to achieve and, um, you know, being known for what she does in the Hunger Games and all of her stuff. So, yeah, and she's evil. I mean, she lets poor clemencia get bit by those ridiculous snakes and almost like turn into one one so, thing i just oh, no, one thing i just thought of right now is when you think about it tigress as the wars breaking out was like four or five going to school at yeah. the academy or maybe she was maybe she was a little older because i think actually she might have been like eight when the war was happening and then cornelius was really really young yeah but when you think about it we don't we're we're made to assume that this maybe was the first genetic testing she did was on the snakes but we don't know why the kids were going to school during the war oh i never thought about that i just thought about it like she she could have been using these kids as oh who knows how long the war goes on maybe if i just slip something into their food we're gonna have a stronger Mm -hmm. generation of soldiers because there's really no incentive for them to keep this school going and provide them with free meals right during war that's a really good point hmm i would not put that past her i know me either because she's the one who does um the experiments with the birds too and so the, again, I loved, I loved this Easter egg. Like I loved that we found out how the mocking Jays became the mocking Jays. Like that was really fun. Side mm-hmm. note there. Yeah. I yeah. think it's like Dr. Ash or something that headed that project. Yes. Yeah. But Dr. Gall, well, she knows about it and she works yeah. with the birds. Cause then she gets the message that Coriolanus put in it, which that's a whole other thing, but whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah. But yeah, that's true. Dr. Gall, she could have easily done that. Yeah, because she obviously has no shame in hurting children. Like, she does not value life in the slightest, Mm -mm. so I wouldn't put it past her. No. And there are, like, all those crazy modified animals and stuff in her lab. And and the person. The person. Mm -hmm. With the modified people. Because Coriolanus walks in there and he's like, whoa, what is that? Yeah. Why he didn't go running at that point is beyond me as a 17-year-old boy. I I mean, but whatever. So... (laughs) But yeah, so she is definitely more than capable of doing that. So maybe she did turn Tigress into a tiger. Yeah, because we don't know what, like, she's the only kid we know that age. Like, we don't know anybody else that age. So she could have done something to that generation of children Mm -hmm. to be like, oh, okay, if this war goes on, like, we're going to need super soldiers. Let's just uh, mix some Mm -hmm. stuff with their food and... There you go. Now you have a tiger child. Hmm. That's very true. I like that theory. I think we're going to go with that. (laughs) I know. If if we get a Dr. Gall prequel, I want to be back on the podcast. I want to know if I'm right. Yes, definitely. 
that would be, I, I actually would, as much as I hated her, like I would love a book just about her. I think that would be really cool. I love uh, like villain origin stories. Yeah. Like not always am I like in love with the villain, but I sometimes I am, but like most of the time (laughs) I just want to know how we got here. Exactly. I get, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's why I was really excited about this because I love the good backstory. He is the villain and now we get his backstory and it's great. Um, all right. So I, I don't know about you, but I definitely felt like from the beginning, Corio and Lucy Gray's relationship was doomed. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure what to expect when he starts working as an officer and he gets sent to district 12. Like I wasn't sure how she was going to react to that. Cause you, I mean, you could tell like she had some feelings for him and he's said he had feelings for her, but I still wasn't sure. Cause you would, cause I thought like, well, maybe she would want to like leave that behind and be separated, you know, and just go on with the rest of her life. Um, but when he shows up there, she is like super excited and overjoyed. So yeah, I mean, they have like some really sweet moments, like when he kisses her for the first time. And I love, I do love how he helps her and takes care of her. And okay, the thing that he did with giving her his mother's compact so she could put the rat poison in it, ingenious. Mm-hmm. And I loved that. And then I also loved with the, um, the snakes, how you put the handkerchief with her scent on it in the, with the snakes. Perfect. Which of course they got caught afterwards, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, what did we think was going to happen? He didn't go back in and retrieve it. You know, he just right. like threw it in there. And at this point we know that Dr. Gall's one of the smartest people alive and she's vindictive. Mm-hmm. So she's like, Oh, what would I do in this situation? That's what Cornelius is going to do. Or sorry. Yeah. Coriolanus. Coriolanus. It's a hard one. Yeah. Just call him Corio, like Tigress says, and we're good. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. My brain still reads it as Cairo, though, so I'm really having some difficulty. (laughs) This is a rough one. But I did, okay, I did, as much as I knew it was going to end up being a disaster, I still there was still part of me that was, like, really pulling for it to go well. Just that the part of me that's, like, okay, I'm going to let this little bit of my romantic side come out and just like, because, you know, and then, I mean, she writes him that song that's all about him, which is really great. And he learned so much about her and where she came from and the group that she's with. I forget what they call themselves. Anyway, I was really, I was, I was hoping that it was going to go better than it did, but I just, I just felt like, Okay. So I wasn't surprised that he turned on her in the end. However, I did feel like it was kind of severe. Like it was kind of mm-hmm. a really fast flip. Yeah. Cause he's going along with her and he's like, yeah, I'm in love with her. And then, but then you see how like the influence of Dr. Gall is kind of getting to him with the thoughts mm-hmm. that he has going on. But then when they decide to run away together, it's just like a super fast, like, switch it's like somebody flipped a light switch all of a sudden he's like oh i can't live like this i would hate this i have to go back to the capital but then he realizes that's when he realizes but you know what she's not capital she can't come with me and then he flipping decides to shoot her and the fact that she knew that too and she's like gone she's straight up out of there she's like oh Mm -hmm. goodbye i'm outie 
because he she figured it out because he said that he killed three people mm-hmm. and she only knew about two and she's like who's the third and then he wouldn't tell her and she's and so she figures out it's to Janice I mean indirectly but she figures it out and so yeah smart girl it's a good thing Lucy Gray had a good head on her yeah all right so moment of truth what do you think do you think he killed her or do you think Lucy Gray is still out there alive somewhere because she doesn't go back to yeah. the hive the whatever she yeah. doesn't, she doesn't go back with her adopted family there i think he killed her like he there's no way he would have left a loose end like from all the things he does she was a loose end and he ties up all of his loose ends no one who knows True. him and knows him well is left alive except tigress but he like he doesn't go to check though is yeah. the thing he doesn't go to double check because he shoots like he sees the the clues that she leaves for him like to kind of try and lead him one way and then he hears her singing and then he shoots and he doesn't hear anything more but he doesn't go to check i just so, have an idea okay what who's the leader of the 13th district in the last movie i have no idea <laughs> Because, like, wouldn't oh. it be kind of cool if it was Lucy Gray if he didn't kill her? Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. I feel like sense. I should just Google that really quick. Oh, my goodness. Because, like, what if? What if that was what we were supposed to get at this whole time? And then I'm going to regret not totally saying it. I missed it. Oh, Alma. Yeah. That's right. Okay. So it's not Lucy Gray. <laughs> oh, man. Let's see. Oh, wow. when it, it said when you search is Lucy Gray, the first thing that comes up is related to Katniss. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But that's not possible. I don't think. I don't think that that's possible. Covey is the name of the group. Oh, yes. The Covey. The Covey. Okay. Because he just, yeah, because I'm looking at this. He just, he shoots. And then the birds start singing which again, very clever of her to start singing because she knows that the Mockingjays would repeat what she was singing and throw him off. But he shoots and then he doesn't hear anything else, but then he's just like, he has to get out of there. He collapses on the ground. He's dizzy and nauseous. He hears the birds singing. Chaos, it says. And then he's just like, I have to get out of here. But it doesn't, but he doesn't, he never goes back to check. So I don't know. Yeah. It even, apparently there's a quote in here from the in fandom says, he was happy to think of her as a ghost girl that could fly around District 12 as much as she wanted, but she and her Mockingjays would never hurt him again. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like there's part of me that knows that she's probably dead, but the bigger part of me is like hoping that she managed to get away somehow yeah. and hide and escape on her own and wasn't dead. Like I kept on envisioning, okay, he shoots, he misses. She's hiding really well and super silently quiet. He doesn't go, he doesn't go to check. So he leaves, right? He leaves. He goes back to district 12 and then maybe after a while she comes back out and she goes into the cabin, gathers all the supplies and goes on her merry way up north, wherever she yeah. ends up. 
that's what I would like to think happens. But we don't know because Suzanne Collins left that open-ended for us. Apparently the only time she's mentioned in the Hunger Games is when Katniss says, yeah, there was one time someone else won District 12 and her name was like Lucy Gray or something, basically is the quote that I have. All right. Well, we will never know unless Suzanne Collins decides to give up her opinion on that, but we'll see. (laughs) Who knows? All right. One one last thing I really wanted to talk about um, because, and I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, but such is life. This is how it goes. <laughs> Sid, Sid Janice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. This kid, like, I, I felt really bad for him. Like, I didn't know what to think about him. Like, I mean, he comes from the districts, from District 2. His family moves to the capital because they end up with all this money because of whatever it was that happened. Um, but he he hates it. Like, yeah. he doesn't he doesn't feel like if they were like, he doesn't feel like he could go back because they wouldn't fit in there because they weren't fitting in because they got all the money. So they wanted to, well, his dad wanted to move, but he doesn't feel like he fits in in the capital either. Um, then of all things, they give him the stinking district two tribute. Yeah. They knew uh, what they were doing. Right. I was like, that is the cruelest thing ever. And it was somebody he knew. Mm-hmm. It was an old friend of his. I was like, Oh, this poor kid, like he's doomed. And then he goes into the arena trying to get killed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they have to send Coriolanus and after him to get him who, okay. This, that scene was killer for me because he goes in there to get Sejanus out and then he gets attacked and almost dies. He has to kill somebody himself. Okay. He goes through all of that. He's like traumatized by it. And yet he is still later. Okay. With the hunger games continuing and doing that, even though he experienced it and hated it and was so traumatized by it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's honestly, his character development is, it's such a quick turnaround. And like, I feel like his real breaking point is when he turns Sejanus in. Is he was like, well, this point, this kid's a threat to the capital. He wasn't really thinking about, oh, Sejanus might, you know, die in the woods. He was mostly thinking that oh, if he goes, then I'm going to get in trouble somehow because Mm -hmm. he's not following the rules. He's such a rule follower. Mm, And it's that point was like, oh, if you betray the capital, you die, was his real like flip switch to whereas everything after that became capital, capital, capital. I agree. That was definitely a big tipping point for him because then he like he debates about it a little bit but he still but he still does it and yeah. then he he knows like he's like well he tries to justify it to himself like maybe dr gall won't listen to it why would they listen to these birds because they haven't been doing it for a long time so they don't need to listen to them cuz we're not in the war anymore which by the way side note super clever strategy to use the birds mm-hmm. to send the birds into enemy territory and they record what's being said. 
I loved Yeah. That. I was like, ooh, super smart. Um, but he, yeah, I mean, he's like, oh, no, she'll never listen to it, blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, she does. And then Sejanus gets killed. I just, yeah, it was definitely a, a bad point for him, for mm-hmm. Coriolanus. I think that was definitely his turning point as well. But I just, like, felt so bad for Sejanus. Like, he was so desperate that he was trying to help Billy Tope, Lucy Gray's ex there. Yeah. You know, he was trying to help him and his crew to break out the one girl and then they were going to escape like he's so desperate you know what got me too speaking of this when the group is organizing right and they're meeting in the little shed behind where they're the building that they perform in and Coriolanus goes back there and he sees what's going on he shoots what's her face he kills the other girl. Yeah. Um, the mayor's daughter. Yeah. But he's like, like, it's not even a big deal. But then, like to me, he killed her just because he killed her and he didn't mm-hmm. want to run in her mouth. And, but Lucy Gray, I was like, oh, this isn't going to go down well. She's going to figure it out right here. This is where it goes down, right? No, no. She was like, I know you just killed her for, to protect me. And I was like, Lucy Gray. No, no, sweetheart. He did not, honey. He's just evil. Yeah, he wasn't now? even thinking about you. <laughs> no, that, that, it was at that point that I was like, all right, I'm over it. Run away from him now, Lucy Gray. Yeah. <laughs> Before it Red gets flag worse. number five was <laughs> the murder that you witnessed. Seriously. Because I was just like, I, what did she just say? <laughs> like, like, she's a really smart girl, but yet, She's being naive about that. I feel like Lucy Grace also having a little bit of PTSD issues. Mm -hmm. And so she's like, you know, I just witnessed like murders. I had to kill someone. I thought my life was going to end. And so she's like seeing Corio commit murder. And she's still kind of like got one foot in the Hunger Games. Like she doesn't Mm -hmm. know. She's at that point where she hasn't been out long enough to know, like, I'm out. I'm okay. This is not normal. Yeah. Whereas she sees a murder and she's like, oh, you did that to help me, to protect me. Then I don't have to commit murder because she's still so wrapped up in that. And there's points where she even talks about how she has like nightmares and everything Mm -hmm. because it's not that far after. So I just think that's a lot to do too, is like she's sweeping these red flags under the rug because she's like not used to being back out alive. She didn't think she'd get this far kind of thing. Yeah. Agreed. You know, what's funny is right before Coriolanus makes the decision, like to turn Sejanus in, they have that conversation where Sejanus is talking about joining Billy Tope and the others and trying to escape. And they're talking and Sejanus is like adamant about how horrible the Hunger Games are. And Coriolanus says, I believe I said you could fight for the tributes, meaning you might be able to procure more humane conditions for them. And Sejanus is like, humane conditions? They're being forced to murder each other. Yeah. So like, what? It's like, and that is funny because Coriolanus, even at the beginning of the book is like, oh, this is horrible how they're being treated. Lucy Gray doesn't have any food. I'm going to bring her food and be her hero and do all this stuff for her. I'm going to give her gifts and stuff when she's in the arena um, to help her. But he doesn't care that they're killing each other. This is how messed up he is. This is how messed up their society is. Like I can't. Oh my gosh. 
it's the hard part too is they're all brainwashed every single kid is brainwashed since they start Mm -hmm. going to school as this is the way the world is you have to punish these people who've destroyed your lives kind of thing whereas shanus didn't grow up with that he grew up in district two where they're like that's not why we did this war at all we tried to get more humane conditions you Mm -hmm. know so he grew up with a very sympathetic understanding of the world whereas uh corny elenis grew up with every single time i stutter over that i just (laughs) it's okay (laughs) it's fine i love that little if someone ever just takes all of my sound bites of me pronouncing his name eight different ways and then they're like so which one is it um but he grew up knowing that there, the game doesn't end with the Hunger Games. The game is mm-hmm. constant. You have to constantly put on a show for every single person you interact with. And like yeah. everyone in the Capitol kind of does. No one talks about their poverty. You know, he even mentions that someone was wearing a dress that they wore before and they always are like, oh, I just picked this up. You know, this is the first right. time I had to throw it away after this. Yeah. Everyone's putting on the same show. Yeah. And then, I mean, and that's really by the time we get to the 74th Hunger Games, that is even more like they're doing that even more and in even bigger ways with all their modifications and clothes and the parties and the way that they um put on a show with the tributes like they have the tributes essentially putting on a show i mean they've got all the stylists for them katniss has her um fancy dresses that turn into flames and whatever um you know they put them they go on the the show with Flickerman and it's like a really big deal now. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just crazy. But again, I just, one of the things that I really loved about this book was seeing that transition. Cause I, again, I could definitely see where, where things started here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we're at 10, but then I could completely envision how it transfers to step to where we are by the time it gets to 74 with Coriolanus Snow being president. So, one thing I do want to mention too is finding out that the reason the dean hated Coriolanus was because oh, yeah. his father turning in the um, Hunger Games report that he made up while he was drunk mm-hmm. destroyed me. Right? I was like, whoa, okay, so not only is this Snow a terrible trash bag human. But his father was even worse. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? I mean, and you think about it, like, that's crazy because the Hunger Games were never meant, it was never meant to be. It shouldn't ever be. And yet Coriolanus's horrid father was like, no, I'm going to turn this in this. And then some twisted idiot is like, yeah, this is a good idea. Let's have, let's have these poor people go into an arena and kill each other and not adults, children. Let's have children kill each other. Um, yeah. Okay. Please tell me why that's a good idea. <laughs> Think about how messed up the Dean has to be to even come up with this idea, you know? Right? And he did it on a whim. He's like, well, if I was going to, you know, he's like, obviously we're not going to, you know, leave this outside of the room, but if I was going to punish these people, what I would do is, and he has to live with the fact every day that that came out of his brain. He's the mm-hmm. reason that 74 generations of children are being killed every year. You got to be a messed up person for that. Yep. Clearly. <laughs> There are lots of messed up people in this book and in this world as a whole. So, yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, no wonder uh, he's like constantly drugged and intoxicated. Right. <laughs> I know. That was like the one like kind of funny aspect was every time we saw Dean High Bottom, he was which by the way, fantastic name. Tight um, bottom. <laughs> he was always drunk or high or whatever. But I mean, you know, like anybody today even doesn't want to deal with the reality of what he did because it's essentially, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not totally his fault, but he he came up with the idea. So it kind of is yeah. his fault. I mean, if you bring a flame to the campfire, mm-hmm. even if you're not the one to light it, it's still lit, you know? Yep. Exactly. Still your fault. Yeah. All right. Well, this has been really fun. I still have some questions left that only Suzanne Collins can answer Truly. maybe one day, but <laughs> I'm glad that we got to, to chat about this. This was a lot of fun. Why don't you, Rachel, tell everybody where they can um, find your podcast, where they can follow you on social media. Okay. Yeah. I am the Barely Bookish. Um, I actually have the at Barely Bookish on everything. So that was pretty cool. I feel like pretty awesome about that. Uh, nice even on tiktok so if you want to watch some cringy tiktoks yeah they're very specific very niche memes but you know what that's what you're (laughs) into if you like book talk and you just really want some very specific from blood and ash video content i'm I'm your girl um (laughs) but yeah i'm at barely bookish on everything um even twitch now so if you want to watch twitch i'm there too and the podcast is on spotify Apple Podcast, Audio, uh, Audible, Galaxy Podcast. Just go to barelybookish.com slash connect. I got the links <laughs> to everything. I'm pretty much everywhere that you can find a podcast. Um, yeah. There. I'm there, basically. Awesome. And I'll, uh, I'll put a link to the Barely Bookish website and Instagram and all that stuff in the show notes for today as well to make it super easy for uh, everybody listening to find. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was a lot of fun. And I yeah, thank you for having me. You guys, I have some insight for you. Um, I'm going to be on Barely Bookish podcast at some point. I don't know when it's going to air, but I'm really excited about it because we're going to talk about Alice in Wonderland. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Rachel, for being here. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will chat again soon. Today's podcast featured the book, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins. Be sure to follow YA Book Chat on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you can get your episodes as soon as they are available. Have you checked out YA Book Chat Patreon yet? If not, you should. There are plenty of perks and bonuses available. You won't want to miss out on them. Just click the link in the show notes today for more information. YA Book Chat was created by, is hosted and edited by me, Leah Stuhler. <laughs>